It's good to be back. It's very weird to be up here without a guitar, I have to tell you that. A little awkward. Stewie, I might need some counseling after this. This is triggering me. Um, this thing. Okay, I got it. Nailed it. Here we go. You guys good? Yeah. Smiling faces. You all had enough coffee? That's good. Um, so we're going to keep going today. This is actually the last series, last uh, message on the rest series. So we've been talking about rest. Sean started it with the rest of the soul. Then he talked about Sabbath rest and the importance of that. And then he talked about uh, how he lost his marbles. That was last week. He had, he had some, I actually haven't heard that message yet because I was in Kildare last week and then we switched. But I think he found them, so that's good. But uh, he had a whole jar of marbles and talked about time that we have. And that was a good one. And so I'm going to talk about resting in relationship. Um, so I'll get into that in just a minute. But first, let me ask you, have you ever felt out of the loop, out of the loop with something? I feel it all the time, <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, you know, moving to Ireland, I had to discover a lot of things for the first time. And, uh, you know, I remember I was living here for, I just remember this, I was living here for about three months, four months, and there was a, a girl, an American girl who had lived here for, I don't know how long, a long time. And we were going to get on the dart, and I bought a ticket. I got a single. She's like, you know, you can get a return ticket. I was like, what? I never even knew. Like, I never even thought about it. And she gave me a hard time. I'm like, I've been here three months. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. So, you know, you figure stuff out. One of the most embarrassing moments for me as far as being out of the loop. Uh, back when I was in high school, I was playing piano in our youth group. I had just started. I was pretty new to it. Uh, I was loving it. Love. That's where I really started to uh, develop a call and desire for worship. And uh, we had a bit of a revival in our youth group back in the 90s. And um, so God was moving. We were extra holy, so we didn't have much of a plan, you know. We didn't really plan ahead too much. So we would show up, and I was on piano, and there would be a, a little square piece of paper with the songs for that night. And you'd show up and figure them out. And so we showed up. I saw the list, and I was like, hmm, okay, this is awesome. Start with my song. It's called Down the Mountain. And, uh, and so it has this real bopping start, you know. And so countdown's going three two one zero and i'm like yeah bam and i'm playing this piano part it was awesome and i look over and the band's just looking at me like what are you doing and the, the crowd's looking at me like what are you doing it's like a couple hundred kids and i'm like 16 15 years old i'm like what happened and the youth pastor comes over he pulls the list he's like this is last week's who has this week's set list so i played the whole wrong intro i was supposed to start but a different song so then we started and it was fine I was a little out of the loop, and uh, you know, another another thing about this is um, I always feel out of the loop when I hear friends talk about their devotional life. Not always, but sometimes. If you ever had that friend who's like really close to Jesus, like really, like they'll they'll sit there and they'll be like, "Yeah, so I just had time with Jesus, and I wrote in my notebook, and he said this, and I said this, and then he said that, and I asked him that, and he answered me this and this." I'm like, how does this happen? Like, what are you, does he sit next to you? What kind of tea does he drink? Like, what is this, what's this like? I don't know. And uh, it took me a while to figure out that God speaks to us in different ways. But I've always felt that way a little bit. And so as we talk today about rest and that moment of rest, so we're going to rest for our soul. We're going to make the Sabbath rest happen in our life. We're going to, you know, uh, uh, look at our time and really intentionally put this in 
to our schedule and our routine, but we sit down and then what happens? Because usually when I sit down, I don't have a whole full-on conversation with Jesus like he's right next to me. It's just not how it works for me. I wish. That's up to him. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit and, and talk about what we do in those moments. Resting in relationship. We know to read our Bible. We know to pray. You probably, a lot of you probably put on worship music. That's pretty normal. Those are all great things, wonderful things. And uh, what I love about the series is it's really helped us understand why we need to do this. And it's important to understand why. Another level of depth that we can go is when we understand who we're doing this with and for. So when we get past just the why and we see that we have to connect with God in this moment. God. There's a, there's a pastor I was listening to online the other day, and uh, he said he travels a lot, and he was out speaking this one time, and it was his wife, his, him and his wife's anniversary. So he's in a hotel room, and he's like, oh man, I'm missing this anniversary. I'm going to write my wife a note, back when people used to do that, handheld, handwritten notes, you know. So he'd sat down at his hotel desk, pulled out the pad of paper, and he starts writing this note, and there was a knock at the door. He's like, oh my gosh, what's, I wasn't expecting anybody. Opens the door, his wife's there. Yay. What he could have done is said, hang on, I'm writing a note to my wife and shut the door and went and wrote the note. Thankfully, he didn't. He's still married today. But he uh, embraced her and they had a great weekend, I'm sure. But a lot of times we can be like that in our devotional times. When it gets to become too much about checking the box, going through the routine, we miss that God is right here in the room with us. Now, there's power in the word. Like, I want to be very clear. The word of God is foundational. It's, it's what we need to direct our life. We learn about who God is, how he loves us. We learn about how we fit into his plan by reading the word. And it's important, but the power of the word comes through who speaks to us through it, who gives that to us. And that's, that's the Lord. Jesus shows us this with his life and his routine. He knew how to rest. He went to what we'll call the lonely place. If you put up Mark uh, 1, verse 32, we're going to read this. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And then he says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And I want us to look back at that verse 35, where it says solitary place. A lot of translations, one, one or two translations have it as lonely place. And uh, it's a really, that's kind of what we're going to look at today. Uh, there's a theologian named Henry Nouwen who has a great quote about this. Uh, he wrote a book called Out of Solitude, and it's a really great book. It's really thin, but really deep, and it's about this very thing. He says, in the lonely place, Jesus finds the courage to follow God's will and not his own, to speak God's word and not his own, to do God's work and not his own. He reminds us constantly that by myself I can do nothing. I seek to do not my will, but the will of him who sent me. John 5, 30. And then he goes on to say, it's the lonely place where Jesus entered into intimacy with the Father, and that's where his ministry was born. So we look at this, and we look at what Jesus is doing, and we see him come out of this 
quiet time with the Lord, which we see this all over. His disciples continually interrupt his quiet time. It's like he had kids or something. But uh, he comes out of this and he's like, I know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go here. We're going to do that. This is what's going to happen. And he was ready. He knew the father's plan because he had spent that time with the father, communing with the father. And this relates, uh, you know, in Sean's message about Sabbath, one statement he made that really stuck out to me was we need to learn how to work from our rest rather than rest from our work. And Jesus knew how to do this. He knew how to let his rest, his quiet time, empower him for what was coming. And he, he lived this. Um, he knew well how to do that. He knew how to commune with God. He knew how to connect with God spirit to spirit. He knew how to worship. So we're going to take a minute now and talk about worship. What is worship? I'll connect all these dots here in a little bit. But what is worship? When you think about worship, you probably think of songs. You probably think of, you know, like Alan just said, and we say this all the time, we're going to continue our worship with giving because we believe that's an act of worship. This right here, opening our minds to what the Lord has to say to us, that's an act of worship. When you go out there for coffee and you're communing together, that can be worship. Worship's in a lot of stuff. And you always hear this phrase, worship is a lifestyle. You ever heard that before? Nobody knows what that means. They just say that. And it, 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 it does have a meaning, but it, we don't really dig into what exactly that means. So what I want to talk about just for a second is what is worship. Those are all great things, but those in themselves are not worship. Hebrews 9, we're going to look at this. It'll tell us a little bit about what worship is. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. And then there's a lot of details about the sanctuary. And then it goes on to verse 6 and 7. says, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room. And then more details. And in verse 9, it says, This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. A couple things to note here. When it says worshiper right there, we're not going to do it yet, but in a minute we're going to read verse 14. And it has the word serve. Worship here in verse 9 and serve in verse 14. It's the same word in Greek. It's the same word. Just translated differently. In the Old Testament, they served to worship. They worked. And in fact, when it says here um, in, uh, well, the next, uh, the next verse, it talks about works, dead works. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death, from dead works, so that we may serve or worship the living God. See, in the Old Testament, they served, they did all those things, they tried to atone for their own sin, and it didn't work through the, through the high priest. It didn't work. It wasn't enough. There had to be something more. So we see this in verse 14. Jesus comes as that perfect sacrifice. So I love this part of Hebrews because it talks a lot about this in the chapters before and after. It's worth going through Hebrews to look at it in, in deeper context. But the Old Testament was all about ritual and religion. The New Testament, we worship through relationships. The Old Testament, we worship through ritual, through religion. And the New Testament, we worship through relationship with the Father. We are able to enter into God's presence because of what Jesus did. See, back in the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter that Holy of Holies. Could, only he could enter into God's presence. And even then, it was after he did all this stuff 
to try to get there. And even with all that, it still wasn't enough. He had to do it every year. It was, it was a, a faulty system because we were in charge of it, because we were involved, humans. But Jesus went and became the perfect sacrifice, not in the, in the, the throne, in the, in the Holy of Holies on earth with the man-made temple. He went to heaven to be the ultimate sacrifice in the perfect temple so we could access God face-to-face just as we are without anything extra. We can go to him right now and commune with him, with his spirit. So I want to explain it this way. This is my favorite analogy that I get to do. It's a little talk I like to do called Worship and Coffee um, because I love coffee because I'm American. Now, this is empty because I did this last week in Kildare, and I drank coffee while I did this, and the message was about two minutes and 45 seconds. So... We can slow that down by like a quarter and you can really understand what I said. But today we'll just do it without coffee so I can be normal, not like <laughs> hyperactive. Worship and coffee. So there's a guy named Richard Foster who wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. Amazing book. Horrible title. Amazing book. Um, does not make you want to read it when you see the cover. But he, he goes through a lot of spiritual disciplines that are really, really powerful talks about prayer and fasting and all kinds of stuff. But one of them, he talks about worship. And he uses an analogy of wine and wineskins. But because I love coffee, I switched it to coffee and the cup. And uh, he talks about how the worship is the coffee that's in there. The songs we sing, the sermons we preach, the offerings we give, all these things, those are the cup. So the cup itself is not the goal. This is the vessel that carries the worship. Right? And the way he defines worship is my absolute all-time favorite definition of worship. Worship is the response of our spirit to the spirit of God. At the core DNA level, that's what worship is. So when you hear the phrase, worship is a lifestyle, it means that throughout our day, 24-7, we're in a, we're in a space where we're seeking to connect our spirit to the spirit of God constantly. That's what worship as a lifestyle is. I'll go a little bit more into it in a minute, but um, worship is the response of our spirit to the spirit of God. I've got a great story to uh, give you an example of this. When I was in, uh, I did an internship in Louisiana for a year, and I led worship with this university ministry there, and we met in a classroom, and if you know, like, university lecture halls, there's a stage and the seats and stuff, but usually the podium with the computer hookup for the screen is like here because teachers will do their lessons right here. So we had our guy here running the pro presenter. That's what we used to do this. And uh, he's there running all this stuff, right? Just like a Ahijay's doing back there, crushing it. So he's over here doing this. This guy's name was John. Awesome guy. Love the Lord. He was very like straight laced. Like he was a computer engineer. Like he, he was very like meticulous. He had his you know, he, when he raised his hand, it was like this, like right angles. You know, it was, he was like, but he was so cool. I, I really liked that guy. And uh, one time we were doing that and the Holy Spirit started to move. I'm leading worship. And I see this like, like this blur. I was like, what was that? And I see a head like all the way around the room and then all the way back down the other aisle. And then it was John and something happened and he made it, you know, he, he, he started running all around the room. His spirit connected to the spirit of God and something had to happen. Something had to happen because there was a reaction. It was like 
atoms bouncing in like a nuclear explosion. There's something like that in his heart. And he just had to run to get it out. He had to express himself. The most miraculous thing is he made it all the way around in time to hit the next slide. And we didn't miss one lyric. So that was pretty cool. That was like the best part of it. It wasn't the best part of it, but it was cool. But that's something happened in him. His spirit connected to God's spirit, and there was a response. So that was worship. Now, that could be anything for anybody at any time. For you, it might be the spirit connects to you in a special way, and you begin to cry, or you begin to sing, or you feel prompted to give, or you feel prompted to say something to somebody, you know, to encourage them, whatever it might be. But when our spirit connects to his spirit, there's a response. And when that happens, you have to have something to carry that. He ran, we sing, we give. There's things, there's vessels that help us carry our worship that, uh, when our spirit connects to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. We all together? So here's the next logical point that I hear all the time. Okay, well then, if my spirit's not connected to his spirit, then I probably shouldn't sing because I don't want to be faking it. I've heard that a lot. I've had people try to quit the worship team because... Uh, not here, other places, but because they're like, well, I, it wouldn't be honest, so I'm not going to. And I get that. I do get that. However, I don't get that. It's not right. It's, it's a chicken and egg kind of thing, right? So what comes first? Is it the coffee or the cup? Well, you can't have the cup. You know, we can't have the coffee without the cup. You know, but they wouldn't have invented cups if coffee hadn't existed. So it's, it's both and. Right, And so when you hold your cup out and you're not feeling it, you, you feel hopeless, you feel lost, this is not working, holding your cup out is not faking it. In those moments, holding your cup out is, is an act of faith. That's saying, God, I don't have it. I don't have it together. I don't know what to do. I can't see it. I want it. I know that I want it. I know that I need what you have. You're the only one that can give it to me, so I'm going to hold this out. I'm going to sing this song even though I feel nothing in it. And something will happen. Maybe not in that moment. And that's okay. But it's an act of faith and you're saying, God, I believe in you. I'm going to put myself in your direction. And you, we, we trust that as we do that, he will fill our cup. And it could be in new ways every time. It could be the same way for a lot of time. You know, but the important thing is that we connect with the spirit of God. And we can't do that if we don't have the vessel to fill it with. Right? So, don't talk bad about the mug, because <laughs> the mug exists to be filled. That's its purpose. I don't get this just to put it on my shelf. It is a cool little mug. I like this one, but it's not decor. I use this to drink coffee, you know? Um, so, we don't talk down about the mug. Um, the cool thing about this, I'm going to diverge slightly for a second. The cool thing about this is if we take this understanding of worship at the boiled down point, it's our spirit connected to God's spirit. And however that flows out is our act of worship. That means that anything that is in our hands, it's in our heads, it's in our hearts, as long as it lines up with God's word and his will, anything can become an act of worship when our spirit's connected to his. That means when you go to work, when you go to university, when you're on a bus or a train or driving, whatever you're doing, if your spirit is connected to God, if you're pointing that in his direction, it becomes an act of worship, right? So when you're at work and you're doing your work in worship, suddenly there's a, there's a power, there's an anointing that comes, you know? 
and uh, I was just talking to Byron. You know, Kara leads the kids, and Byron's her husband. And, uh, he was talking about there's, a, there's kind of a darkness that he was feeling as he would take the train into Dublin. And he wondered what that was, and he would pray. And he, you know, the Lord revealed to him a direction to pray in, like a specific thing to start praying for. And he felt lift. He felt that list. That is him worshiping. And it's not just blessing him. It's, he's actually permeating the atmosphere around him. Everywhere he's going, it's lifting. Because he's carrying that worship into that place. So now we find ourselves, we can worship, we can enter in the Holy of Holies. And God can move through us at any point. So we're back to the lonely place. What do we do? We're practicing resting. It's not just about punching in the time clock. It's not just doing it to do it. It is good to do it and be consistent and be committed to it. But the, that's not the goal. That's not the end result that we're looking for. We're entering in the, the lonely place, our time of rest, to commune and connect with God, the King of Kings, our Savior and our friend. And we can because what Jesus did. Now, the reason all this worship stuff is so crucial to understand with rest is because worship is the ladder that connects us to God. That's that connecting point, right? I'll use this analogy. It's the supply line. If you ever watch some, I love watching YouTube videos on like World War II and military strategy and different wars in the past and Napoleonic Wars, whatever it is. It's just fascinating. And all the time you'll see this strategy people use that one side will try to cut off the supply line to the other side. And the reason they do that is because they can cut off the supply line, then it starves the enemy out, cuts off their ammunition. They can't fight after a while because they run out of resources. That's how we feel a lot of times. When we're to the end of our rope, when we can't go any further, it's because our supply line's cut. There's nothing coming in, so how can anything come out? And so that's what worship is. Worship is that supply line. Worship is the thing that makes rest productive. And I don't mean singing songs makes rest productive. I mean our spirit connected to the spirit of God makes worship productive. I mean makes rest productive. Does that make sense? Our spirit connected to the spirit of God. That spark, that's when our rest suddenly explodes like Jesus had all the time where we suddenly find power and direction and peace and purpose to go out and to do the things that he's, got, he's called us to do. So we're going to get practical for just a second. Three helpful tips for worship. When you're, when you're worshiping, when you're resting, when you're in this moment, we're doing our Sabbath, we're doing our daily moment of rest, what do we do? Read the word, pray, all this stuff. That's great. But maybe we need a little bit more to think about. So the first thing that I want to give you, the first little tip is to learn your pathway. Now there's a great book called uh, Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. It's basically the five love languages type thing, that idea, but it's for worship. He talks about different pathways that we connect to God. And you might uh, connect with God one way and the person next to you might connect with God a different way. That's okay. That's fine. I'm going to read through some of them that he has here just so you can see. Naturalists, they love God in the outdoors. This is an obvious one. I'm sure a lot of people are like this. You go on a walk in the woods, you just feel the presence of God. You feel at peace. You feel something come alive in you. You're a naturalist. Sensates, loving God with the senses. I can be like that. I like, you know, I like sight, smell, touch. I like 
like getting my hands dirty with stuff. I like that. Traditionalist ritual and symbolism. I love this example. A friend of mine named Jules, he used to be the Methodist chaplain at Trinity College. And we did an event together. We did several there at the university. And there's one where he, he prayed this prayer. And afterwards we were talking and he was very moved. And he said, I love that prayer because I know that believers for hundreds of years before me have been praying that prayer. And so I can join in with them in that prayer together with the kingdom of God. It was such a, an interesting thing to see because I did not feel that way at all. <laughs> that's not where I was, but that's where he was because he's a traditionalist, right? So the next one we have aesthetics, solitude, simplicity. I can be like that a lot. Activists, prayer walks, intercession, justice, um, caregivers, loving God by loving others. That's pretty self-explanatory there. Um, enthusiasts, fervent worship, creating, celebrating things, contemplatives, adoration, intimacy, quiet prayer, intellectuals, loving God with the mind. They can't get enough theology degrees to satisfy their <laughs> hunger. They just want more and more and more. They eat it up. That's, so there's all kinds of ways that we can connect with the Father. If you will find yours, it's going to make your moments of rest way more productive and it'll help you get to that moment of spirit-to-spirit connection easier. It'll make it easier because you don't have to fight through all this stuff. If you read one of these and you're like, that's ridiculous. Like, that could never, that means it's not you. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. If you read one and you're like, oh, that, that's me, that's, you know, then that's great. That's an option. Yeah. And so what I think you should do probably is we all should do this. We find our pathway and then we intentionally put that into our moments of rest. So it might be hard. Some of this is easy. It could be easy for you. Maybe as simple as lighting a candle, dimming the lights, creating a vibe. You know, that's cool for the sensates. For, for other people, you might want to walk in the woods, but maybe you live in city center. That's going to be a little tough. I mean, you could go to like St. Stephen's Green or something, but you could incorporate once a week during your Sabbath time where you take a bus out somewhere where there's greens. You know, you go to the the gardens, what is that? The, the, we're just talking about the JP, or what is that place? Botanical, Botanical gardens. gardens, yeah. Slipped my mind. Botanic gardens, that's a great place. Things like that, you can incorporate it into your moments of rest to help fuel you uh, to move forward. Um, that's the, the first point. Learn your pathway. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to go through two more quicker. quicker. Um, quicklier, quicker. Number two is to start. Okay, this is really deep and theological. <laughs> just start. <laughs> just get going. I, uh, I had this trouble a while back where I was just really stuck for devotional life. And I'll be honest, a lot of it froze because one of my favorite things to do was to wake up early and to sit with my boys while I watch cartoons. And Eden does not like to be touched. He's not interested in anything like that. But Eli will snuggle right up into you. He would crawl inside your shirt. He has before into my shirt and stuck his head out here. But he would, you know, so I just love that moment early in the morning to sit, drink a coffee or something, and just snuggle. But it was really hindering my devotional life. And that was a real tough one for me. So I thought, okay, what helped me around the corner with it is I thought, what better example could I be to my kids? than for them to see me taking that moment for that time. So I started, and I, uh, I didn't know how to start, but it was frustrating because I didn't know what to do, where to go. And 
I had this friend who helped me. He said, just start with any verse, anything. So I started doing the SOAP thing where it's scripture, objective, application, prayer. So I had a notebook and I would pick, it started out with a verse and I would pop over all over the Bible, whatever I'd heard, whatever, anywhere, I would just do it. And I would write out the scripture, write why it was written, who it was written to, like the purpose of it, how I applied it to my life, and then a prayer. So I started doing that. And uh, the funny note about it is that I, I, you know, again, I'm a sensate, I like to feel things, I like, you know, it really gets me going a little bit to feel something nice. And so I got a notebook for this specific thing. I was looking on Amazon and I found the right one. And I had, it was green. I had a picture of a turtle on it. <laughs> now, I don't have like a 14-year-old girl's notebook. It's not fluffy, like pictures of animals and all this stuff. It's manly kind of, sort of. But it has, it's like geometric, artistic shape of a turtle. But as soon as I saw it, I knew. I was like, that's it. That's the one for me. Because the words in my head that were going on was slow and steady. That was the word in my head. So I thought, okay, that's it. That's the one. And so um, I'm almost done with that one. You know, I got a new one. It's a rhinoceros. <laughs> so I thought, okay, strength. That's going to be the next one, strength. So, you know, you can incorporate things, but just start anywhere. Anywhere. Steal a bunch of paper from the hotel cabinet here. Whatever you got to do. I mean, Borrow. But just start, get going. Even if it's a little bit, it will help. It will make a difference. And the third thing is to wait. And I'm going to end with this um, because when you wait on the Lord, when you wait, you start. Get your pathway, get your plan, start it. And then you're sitting there, you hold that cup out because we know He's faithful and we know He's going to fill our cups. We know He will. But we have to wait sometimes and wait. Don't give up. Because here's the thing we can get caught up. With the, pro, with the destination. We can get caught up with the goals that we set. Have we reached our goal? We're not sure our goal. I'm a failure. You know, it's good to have goals. It's good to set these markers in our life. That's important because we need that to lead us forward. But we cannot ever forget that God's goal is not the destination. God's goal is not the destination. For God, the process is the purpose. The purpose for God is not the destination. The process is the purpose. When I sit down to build Legos with my boys, I don't care about the little dinosaur robot thing that comes out at the end. I love every moment with them putting things together. Even when they start fighting, it's a moment I can teach them and help them, you know, and, and direct them. The, that process, that is the purpose that I'm there for. Not for the robot thingy. <laughs> it's cool. It's really cool. But... That's why I'm there. So don't give up because you know what? God is endless. He is infinite and endless. So if you're waiting for a mile marker to hit with God, you won't get it because the deeper you go with God, the more bottomless he becomes, right? So embrace the process. Just get, get used to it because once you do, it's beautiful because you, then you can really see how he directs you through every moment all this time. I'm going to pray for us. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray and then they're going to sing a song. I just want us to think about this as we worship one last song and um, encourage you. Make a plan. Find your pathway. Start it. Start the plan.